Yeah. All right, let's dive into our lesson today. We're studying in the book of James. If you go to James chapter 4, <clears throat> wanting to begin with the end in mind, uh, we started 2020 by studying this letter of James and uh, been encouraged by the study so far. I know many of you have as well. It's gotten some good feedback. Today we're going to talk about um, what it means to have a coach in our lives and having the right coach in our lives, namely God, and uh, what he can do for us. But when we think of a coach and his or her role, we discover that the role is far deeper than decision making on behalf of a, of a greater body, right? It's not just about in football, an offensive coordinator calling a play and a defensive coordinator calling a play. If only it were that simple, right? Uh, there's the execution of the play. It, it, there's the idea of making sure we've got the right people in the right places that suit their talents uh, to the best of their ability. It, it's what it means to in the final quarter or the final minutes of the game or the event or the next big challenge. If it's a life coach, if it's not an athletic coach, if it's somebody, uh, maybe a financial coach or a health coach or um, just a, a spiritual coach, even a, a mentor, a disciple that's, that's walking with us in our uh, journey with the Lord, the, the coaches that are best at it, they've gone deeper than just the X's and O's. They've found a way to know you relationally in such a way that they know what motivates you, what they can take away, and what they can tell you that's going to get the best out of you. They, they, they valued you in such a way that they're not going to break you down to the place of inability to go on, but rather they will only break you down to opportunities to build you up, to get more out of you than you would have ever been able to get out of yourself on your own. And we, most of us in life, we have been coached by somebody, either athletically, educationally, uh, with a teacher that just found a way to create an atmosphere and to bring out of us the, the best study. Maybe it was a boss or an employee that we just loved working on their team. We were so inspired that we gave them our all. We just couldn't wait uh, to, to serve them and to please them. Maybe that is how you would describe your relationship relationship with your parents, just the way that they uh, challenged you and inspired you. They brought the best out of you. It might be a friend, other things in life, but we know these people, right? These coaches that God has put in our lives in an opportune way to shape us. And the same is true in our faith. So far, by way of review, in this letter, James has upset the apple cart as far as our culture is concerned. He began the first half of James chapter 1 reminding us of the struggle it is to find joy as we fight temptation and feed our faith. We, we want this easy believing uh, faith that, that says, why can't Christianity just be simple? Why can't following Jesus just feel good all the time? And James reminds us, no, it's going to be a struggle. This temptation is going to be a long temptation, and we're going to have to endure to the end to be victorious. This is not going to be a first quarter victory. This is going to be a fourth quarter comeback if we're going to win. It's going to take a struggle, a long endurance after a long season to do this kind of Faith. The second half of that first chapter, he reminds us that it takes self-examination, 
comparing our lives against God's Word and letting God's Word win. That's not always easy. We live in a world that says uh, you are your own God. You and your outcomes, uh, we, we don't have to pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Instead, we build your, our own kingdoms and do whatever the heck we want. And when it doesn't go well, it's got to be somebody else's fault because we're the kings and queens. And this countercultural gospel says we've got to reject the meism uh, that, that our world teaches to follow Jesus. In the second chapter, early half of that, he reminded us that our race will only be clean if we have upheld the standard of Scripture and when we haven't done so, received mercy from him. We, we want to, uh, to win a clean race, right? We laughed at the Astros that week, I believe, um, and, and everybody else who cheats in the world, right? Because <laughs> cheaters, you know, I mean, but so often in our lives, we're cutting corners and doing things that are contrary to this. But if we want to live a clean race, again, we're going to have to apply what we've learned in the second half of chapter one in the first half of chapter two of the book of James. In the last half of James chapter 2, we were reminded that faith is not some decision that we make by word only, but it's something that we live out actively following God, even if it hurts our reputation. That's the hard part, right? Uh, We want to serve Jesus so long as it doesn't cost us anything, especially relationally or formationally in this world. Because again, we've got all of these standards and these ideas that we've got to personify to people that's got to be there. And so we talked about faith without works and how dead it is and and the challenge of what faith really is and what really saves us. And it's not our works, but how they are so complementary and necessary if indeed we are in a continual relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then we got to chapter 3 and we were reminded that we need Christ to control our walk and our talk so that we can live what we say we believe. And that can't happen if we're in control. So again, we continue to see this surrendering to God so that he's in control. The the back half of chapter 3 that we studied uh, last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, we're reminded that real wisdom comes from God And we agreed that this world is hungry for this kind of wisdom that shines forth from our lives, this kind of wisdom that continues to point to God. It's hungry for that kind of wisdom. And last week in the first half of chapter 4, we were reminded that we are in a battle between our own desires that serve culture and our ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, in living all in with Christ. And so again, James is repeating the same themes. He keeps speaking them in a different way, that there is our desires, there's our ways that are in conflict with God's desires and God's ways. And if God is going to get the victory in your life and mine, it is going to take an all-in surrender from us. We can see why so many people don't like the book of James and don't even want it in the canon because this letter does not fit our American consumer gospel of easy believing. The next time you read the gospels, note that Jesus did not use the word grace one time in his, in his gospels. The only time that he's quoted as using that word is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When he tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. 
Because it's all about him coming alongside of us and getting control. What he gets to do because our stories are more about him than it is about us. Why is this? Because Jesus was concerned less than what we are saved from and more with, with what we are saved to do. Jesus says specifically the phrase follow me over 20 times uh, in the New Testament. He uses the word follow a hundred times. So it's no surprise that James in this letter echoes Jesus reminding us that this life with Christ is not some cakewalk for the weak, but instead it is a transformed life that bears fruit as we elevate Christ and as we follow him. Over the next few weeks, including today, as we wrap up this letter, as we head to the finish line of, of even this study, we do so asking today a rhetorical question, do we want to finish well? Pretty easy rhetorical question, right? Have you ever met anybody, if you just ask them this question, hey, how do you want to finish? Eh, I'm all right with middle of the pack, you know? Can I, I want to be last, you know, and we can even spin spirituality in it. Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last, so I can just suck at this life. It's all right, you know. We can do it and disguise humility in there and even quote Jesus on it if we're good. But have you ever met anybody that just wants to be okay? I think who has the commercial out right now that okay is not okay, right? I mean, we laugh and we, we think, yeah, that's so true. Okay is not okay, and yet how can we be comfortable coming to a faith that is just okay? We can't. And that's what James is getting at. James, throughout this letter, is begging us to, to understand that walking with Jesus is never going to be something he's content or we should be content with just being okay because mediocrity is not what Jesus died for. It's not what he came to teach and encourage in and through us it's a dumb question even right but if it's dumb then why don't we see more people finishing well why don't we see more people finishing well the statement that we're going to answer today is what are the keys to finishing well i believe you want to finish well i want to finish well and we have a road map for us and today, as we're going to see, we have a coach. And the coach wants to get everything out of us that needs to be gotten out of us. And he knows us because he made us. You will never be loved and cared about, but also you'll never be disciplined and, and rebuked by someone that cares so much about you because he isn't okay with you being mediocre and me being mediocre. He wants the best out of us. And so we're going to see two keys in our text today to finishing well. And these are the two keys, actually, before we get there. We're going to read the text in James chapter 4. Let's read verses 13 through 17. If you're not there, I'll give you a minute to get to James chapter 4, the big four. James is in the New Testament. If you open your Bibles in half, you'll be uh, close to Matthew, or excuse me, to the Psalms. If you grab the right half and break that in half, you'll be about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you're back in Malachi or others, you're not quite to the New Testament yet. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, Titus, 
or Timothy, first thing, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Then we get Hebrews and James. The only epistle that James wrote, it's towards the way back back. In James chapter 4, we get to verse 13. And this is what it reads. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. At first glance, you might be reading that, and I know as I was studying this, you know, first thousand foot flyover, especially you get to that last statement, go, this doesn't even fit. What's going on here? And so this is what's going on here. James is clearly reminding us that if we want to finish well, the first key is we need to get a new number one. If we want to finish well, we need to get a new number one. I remember being frustrated with this letter years ago and getting to this passage. Sometimes I still feel the tension in this verse because of the problem that James keeps repeating throughout this whole letter. That we have our desires that are in conflict with God's design. God's patience seems endless as he puts up with our persistence to live in control of our own lives. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. He says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there, do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what, your, what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. What's the big deal? Why can't we say that we want to go to that town or that town and do this business or that business? What's the big deal? If you're still asking that question, what's the big deal? As I did as a younger follower of Jesus, I'd get to this and I'm like, man, James, you're kind of splitting hairs here. What in the world is going on? Know this. If we haven't seen the problem, it's this. God cannot have his will done in our lives when we are bent on doing our own will. God's will and his kingdom is not going to come in our lives or in our communities so long as we are building our kingdoms that stand opposed to him and to what he's about. And James is using a very simple means, a statement of our control, because we love being in control of our lives. And I want to tell you what a scary prayer it is, ask me how I know, to say, God, wherever you want me to go. <laughs> but instead, we like to tell God where we want to go. I think I've shared with you when I was a junior in high school, I had already applied to Colorado State University, had full ride scholarship uh, in place because I wanted so bad to do my thing. I so badly wanted to be a forest ranger 
And I even knew how I was going to uh, pay for all of the extras in the summers. I was going to jump out of planes and, and fight fires because I just loved being in the wilderness and the woods hunting with my dad. That was like the epiphany of life was being in God's creation all the time. I just wanted to be out there in the wilderness. Wow, what passion and joy I had for it. People would ask me, I would tell them, this is what I'm going to do. I had that Sunday school teacher, my fourth grade Sunday school teacher that I played in the worship band with. I played first chair trumpet. She sat second chair, and Pam Casson one week, about 15 years older than I am, she says, Jeremiah, have you ever considered ministry? You're gifted with people. And I remember what I said to her, no, I'm going to Colorado State University where I'm studying forestry management so I can be a forest ranger, and I am going to take summer jobs, jumping out of airplanes, fighting fires, because, you know, I'm a man, and that's what you're supposed to do. And James here is reminding us that we shouldn't say, I'm going to go do this or that without checking with the coach. I love college basketball. Most years, the team, though, with the best player, the number one draft pick, does not win the championship. You ever notice that? The team that has the best player in a game that only fields five at a time, 20% of the team, you can have the best player and not the best team year after year after year. What's more important, making money, being drafted number one, or championships that we get to hang in the rafters, rock, chop, okay, right? You know, I mean, we get excited when we see the banner slide because we count championships more than we count number one draft picks. Unless you're the number one draft pick, because then you're counting your dollars that you earned with your amazing player, right? And, and, and the teams are drafting you in hopes that, you know, your 20% can be an advantage for them. But individuals don't win games. Teams win games. That's the point. And even in an individual race, when it becomes about personal vendettas, our broken focus often leads to devastation. Think about if you're a swimmer, if you're a distance runner, if you're a golfer. I'm amazed that PGA Tour and golfers, they have coaches. Why? Because they need individuals in crunch time that are going to say the right things, that are going to challenge us, that are going to get us to perform at elite levels so that we can win. It's all about winning because winning produces what we want in life. And in, and in faith, it's similar although the winds really glorify our king, and so it's not entirely the same. But remember when Jesus told his disciples in the upper room that he would be handed over to be crucified, remember what Peter said? He said, no, Jesus, I'm going to follow you to your death. And Jesus scolded him and said that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed the next morning. Then they go out and they pray. And after they pray, Jesus is, is taken, remember, and he's taken to trial. And Peter wants to go and get close. And three times, groups go, hey, weren't you one of the guys with him? And, no, not me. Three times. And right after the third time, it says the rooster crowed. What's the point? Oh, bad Peter, right? But even Peter. The great spokesman of the apostle of Jesus in the worst moment was more focused on his plan than God's. 
And if that's true of Peter, we shouldn't be surprised that it happens to all of us at different times in our lives. Life is so short. James reminds us we are merely a vapor. What is a vapor? A vapor is a puff of hot air on a cold night that appears and disappears in a moment. So when we live to control our every decision, we run a tremendous risk of alienating God and his will, and we need a new number one. If, if you want to know what, what does a new number one look like, I, I invite you this week, take some time and consider your calendars. What are we controlling that God does not have permission to influence and lead on our calendars? Open up your, your registry, your check registry, and look at your budgets. What are the resources that you're spending that communicate so many of your passions and desires that fly in the face of your faith and your Christian living? This coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. In the traditional church and traditional Christianity, we don't have endorsement in it from, for the, from the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us we have to practice Lent. But I encourage it because I think it's a, it's a good thing. And so if, if you want to practice something that's going to encourage your walk with Jesus, I invite you to participate in Lent. And this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Traditionally, is what we do is we fast from something that, that will remind us every time we see that or feel the, the need or the hunger or the want from that, whatever that thing is that we're giving up, that we think about Jesus and what he gave up so that we can be in eternal relationship with him. And we live in a world that is so sped up. I want to challenge you not just to give something up, but to put something in its place. Because we are so busy as a people that if we don't put something in place of what we give up, we're going to fill it with something else meaningless. So this is what I mean. What does that look like? I'm just going to share with you what Megan and I are going to be doing through Lent. We're going to one evening a week after we get our five kids to bed. Usually we're pretty toasted. And um, sometimes we fall asleep, <laughs> yeah, not toasted like the world. <laughs> wow. Yeah, thanks, Megan. Well, Megan's pretty toasted, I'll tell you that right now. Um, no, I guess we're not wasted, all right? Let me just say that. We're tired. We're burnt. We're spent. Wow, thanks. I'm glad Megan enjoyed that. Wow. I love you, babe. So Megan and I, we've committed that every Tuesday night, instead of our normal routine that looks like turning on Netflix or Hulu or whatever show that we're in the middle of and, and watching and falling asleep to, and that's how it usually happens, that whoever falls asleep first elbows the other one and says, I guess we've got to turn it off now. You know, we only made it halfway through an episode this time. It's <laughs> time to get to bed. And so instead of that, we are intentionally not going to have any media on. We're going to have conversations um, where we're going to unpack really the conference that I just went to and spend time intentionally in our faith journey together, praying together and studying God's word together because it's so important, even in our marriage relationship. And it's so easy to, to call busy the card and to say we're sped up. And so that's one thing we're doing. And, and call us crazy that that's about, that feels like we're able to do a lot if we can do that in this season of life. I'm thankful that not all seasons are like this season. So you know what we're doing every Tuesday night between this Wednesday and Easter. 
So we're gonna have to wait six days before we get to have our first one, although I might talk her into this Tuesday evening to get started um, after <laughs> something we're doing from six to eight. Uh, <laughs> we'll figure that out. But uh, it's exciting that, that we have a plan that we're gonna do this. Why do I say that? I just say that to say this. We are so busy and sped up, we need to replace those things. And so don't just say, we're going to stop doing this. We're not going to watch Netflix on uh, a, a day of the week. If we don't put something in its place that's going to challenge this, we're not going to probably challenge this even if we give something up. So if you're going to give something up, if you're going to give up lunch, then fill it with time in God's Word or, or prayer or study. If you're going to give up us, um eating a certain thing or technology or whatever, in the time that you would do those things, fill it with this kind of thing. If you're going to give up listening uh, to, to non-Christian music, fill it with listening to Christian music, that kind of idea as you go through that. So there's my challenge for you. Again, it's not ordained through scriptures that we have to do it, but it's, it's an offering for you. If it will help you get a new number one, that's my hope for you and me. Okay, the second key to finishing well is this. Trust the divine coach. Trust the divine coach. If you have a Hall of Fame coach, it's easier to say, I'm going to fo follow what you tell me to do for two reasons. If you've got a Hall of Fame coach, the bench is usually deeper than me. And uh, if I don't do what the coach says, my playing time might, <laughs> might diminish. And so it is in life. I want to perform well because my coach is a Hall of Fame coach. He made the Hall of Fame. And everybody that's in any kind of Hall of Fame, they were made by my maker who gifted everybody with any gifting so that they could do whatever qualified them for whatever Hall of Fame they want. And that same coach can coach your life as he continues to coach mine. Look at verses 15 to 17 again. Instead, instead of what? Instead of saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, you should say, if the Lord wills, he will live and we will live and do this or that, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so it is sin to know the good, yet not to do it. The question we have to ask ourselves every day that we wake up is, whose kingdom am I living in? That should be your first prayer, is to say, God, I, I want to be reminded today. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is above every other name. It is good and precious. We should confide in that name and think often uh, about that name. But then he goes right into, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of the attention is on him throughout the prayer. When we do get, when it is about our, our daily bread, it's really in recognition of our receipt from him, that he's given it to us, so it's still about him. And when we learn even these practical, simple prayers, it's to remind ourselves whose kingdom we are in fact living in, or whose team are you on if you want it in a different way. Rather than boasting in our arrogance, we must humbly trust the Lord to lead, lead us. If we trust Jesus as king, we will follow him. And I want to tell you, he wants us to find spacious places. And success in God's kingdom might not be defined by the same success that our world qualifies as, as success. It may not be uh, the biggest castle and the biggest business and the biggest 
church even if we do it his way because of multiplication what it means to give things away but it will be multiplying it will be impactful and it will be good i can't remember ever giving of myself to jesus in any community that i've served and regretting it i've never opened up scriptures to share with people even those that have hated me for it even those that have stood uh, against me in conflict that stopped worshiping uh, with us because in one church i had somebody leave us because i bought a projector and a projector screen right this is happening in the united states of america because that's obviously the devil's equipment and i think that in a visual age as bad as i am at, at making these things it helps a little bit so i'm going to use these things but guess what in those people am i was i content with them just walking away no i went and i sat in their living room i i let them talk mean things about me and about my future ministry and things of that nature. But you think I cared about any of that? No, I care about this individual that I want to be in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever and ever. And so we're going to do crazy things and it might cost us. It might cost us reputation. It might cost us relationships. Some of you guys, you grew up in a home that if your moms and dads knew that you were even asking questions about Christ, you might be criticized because in our current generation of children, right, millennials are now having children, their generation, less than 3% of them are going to church, Okay. So it says a lot about the church and how we've not always done a good job of catching that next generation. But there are now people that it's that way. And so you are so far. We have a lost people group that we are going to be raising in America for the theological camps that talk about evangelism and winning things. But if we don't trust the divine coach, we're going to live and look like everybody else. And we're going to have parents that at some point are going to be like, what? And we're going to have to ask ourselves, is it okay, even if I live in conflict with my parents, to follow Jesus as my king? And those become the hard questions that, that James is getting at here. Whose kingdom? Whose team? What is God calling you to that you have yet to practice? To me, verse 17 is the slap in the face. If you know the good you should do and don't do it, it's sin. It almost seems like that doesn't even fit this passage, but it does because of this. Some of us, we continue to say, well, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go do that as though God did not say, go do this and go do that. And if we know the good that he's commanded us to do, but we're so caught up in doing our thing, we're not living for the divine coach. And it is sin to keep doing this when God has called us to this. So what has God called us to do that we are not practicing? Perhaps you feel God's nudge simply to get, his, get into his word. But you've got this list of excuses. Maybe you, you've been in God's word. You've even said yes to Jesus as Lord, but you've yet to join him in mission. It's as though we bought into this easy believing. Lord, would you give me my voice to finish? I'm almost there. Jesus saved us from our past. But we can just keep on doing what we've always done and keep taking the cross to the bank. That's kind of the mindset that we have that, man, it doesn't matter. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, uh, Paul reminds us, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No. 
Why? Because will grace increase because our sin increased? No, grace cannot get any bigger or better. Jesus was all in. You want to know how we get grace to increase, friends? It's not in sin and replicating sin. It's not in continuing to do our way in opposition to his way. If we want grace to increase, we will share the grace maker with more people. Then grace will increase. Because we can never do enough in our own will and ways to make that better. But when we say yes to him, when we join him in mission, not only does sin happen less, but grace will increase. I've yet to meet the Christian aiming for mediocrity in their words. Yet in living, many are on a crash course with denying Jesus. Thank you, brother. Through the adulterous associations with culture. James gives us the culmination of the battle by inviting us who've been living for ourselves to come and to get a better number one. Allowing Jesus to take control and to lead us to his places of peace and freedom. Notice the places that he leads us to are not places that are void of following and working for him. James's letter is clear of that. But because of those works, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> I'm going to read that again. But instead, these are places where his work is fruitful and multiplying. It's not because those works are saving us, but instead those works of saying yes to Jesus and following Jesus, by them we bear the multiplying and fruitful work because we continue to surrender to him, our coach. We're just saying yes to our coach. We're not trying to earn our salvation when we say yes to Jesus and follow Jesus. No, easy believism says you can say yes to Jesus and not work. It's like following him is optional. And I, I don't see that in the book. He wants to be in relationship with us where his grace is coming into us. There's giving and there's receiving as we are shaped by his ways into his will. The bottom line for us today is simply this. Humbly follow Jesus' course to victory again and again. This isn't a one-time thing. We don't get to play a game for 60 minutes and call it good. Or if we're just in college, 40 minutes and call it good. No, that's not what it's about. This is about the victory after victory that happens when we follow our coach and he lets us play. And it's as though, wow, you gave me that play. It's all I had to do. I mean, you see those trick plays all the time, right? The easy scores. I mean, if you got Yudoka Azabuki, it's like anytime somebody comes off of him, you just throw it up high, and it's like a rim rocker, and it's cool. It's almost like that. It's like the easy plays because everybody always comes off the defender. The coach knows how to put the play in. We just got to run it and execute it. And when we learn to live that way, God puts us into some pretty sweet things. We get to experience awesome things. Will we humbly, because it takes humility to get a new number one, will we humbly follow Jesus' course to victory again and again, trusting our divine coach? 
I don't think any of us want to finish in mediocrity. If you want to finish better, get a new number one and follow him. Follow him all the way to the finish. And he will win victories through you for his name's sake. And he will get all of the glory. And we will get to be in his kingdom. And it will all be good. If you're ready to join that kind of relationship and to say, I want to be in that kingdom. I'm going to come down here. A band's going to come and sing to us. Not to us, with us. We're going to worship together about our good father. Maybe you're here. Maybe you, you're ready to join Jesus on mission. You're ready to take the next steps. And, and I'll pray with you down here. Just meet me down here. I'm not sick. Actually, the reason I have no voice is because I yelled at the Jayhawks yesterday. <laughs> it was such a game. That I, am, I am well. I'm healthy. I yelled um, at the TV. I promised that God's grace is sufficient in my weakness. Um, <laughs> and that is the reality of who I am. So pray for me whenever the Jayhawks play. I might have a heart attack in one of those moments. Um, but at the end of the day, we've got to humbly accept Jesus. But I'll pray with you. If you're ready, take the next steps. What is it to follow Jesus? Uh, meet me here, and I'll pray with you because I love you. God in heaven, we I turned it off. I turned it back on. Um, we humbly ask that you would take us as broken as we are. And use us to do great work for you because we are surrendered to you. Our king, yes, our coach, our number one. And we ask that you would get the glory as we experience victory after victory in your name and for your glory. Amen.